0: Welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week I'm talking to Dave Walker and Jason Ward who I caught up with at the Joint Fellowship of Word and Spirit and Church Society conference a couple of weeks ago. Both Dave and Jason were at Oak Hill College around the same time I was and it was interesting to hear about their experiences of ministry 10 years or so after leaving college and their reflections on that I also took the chance to get both Dave and Jason to uh, share with us some of what they had been presenting at the conference so you'll hear a little bit of that here and then uh, if you're interested and I hope you are you'll be able to listen to the full talks on the Church Society website here's Dave and Jason
1: Hi, uh, my name's Dave, uh, Dave Walker. I'm uh, Vicar of Christchurch, North Finchley, uh, which is in north middle of London. So, Excellent.
2: Yeah. And I'm Jason Ward, and I'm the Vicar of a uh, church called St Mary's in Chatterston, which is one of the kind of outer suburbs of a wee city called Derby.
3: Now, if I'm remembering this rightly, you, t- you two were in the same year at Oak Hill. Is Just that one right? year below you. Just one mm. year below me. So we all left in 2006. Is that correct?
1: Seventh for me. Oh, did I, you stay and do a I had to do So oh, yeah. okay,
3: slow learner over yeah. here. Um, so how long? So I'm trying to work out. You've both left college, done a curacy, and in your first incumbents jobs.
2: I no? did an associate. Role as well in between.
3: Ah, okay. So well, how long right have you been? Me, yeah. How long have you been in your current church, Jason? Uh,
2: four and a half years now.
3: Okay, and Dave, you've been yours.
1: Seven years and two weeks.
3: Okay, so you've had a little bit more time to get over the honeymoon period and into the real nitty gritty. Yeah. Did you have yeah. any honeymoon period in yours? I I feel like maybe you were straight into. I. Uh, I
2: don't know if I've <laughs> ever had honeymoon periods. Yes. I've, <laughs> Okay. No, I don't, I don't think I've ever been forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: And um, could you tell us a little bit about the kind of context where you work? So uh, the kind of parish, uh, the sort of population demographics, but also the how that translates into the congregation and the, yeah. the kind of place you've
2: mm.
1: got. Uh, yeah, I mean, North Finchley is, it's one of those things where in in London terms, it's just a place among many... Uh, but if you were sort of to cut it out of there and put it anywhere else in the country, it'd be quite a big and um, varied multicultural place in its own right. I mean, it is it is extraordinarily mixed in terms of num- different sorts of people in North Finchley. In what um, sort
3: of way? So ethnically, ethnically socio um so, socioeconomically,
1: socioeconomically um, yeah we have both men and women as well so we've do got you? both genders there both genders uh, and, good um yeah and it, no it is, it is just it is just a right mixture in North Finchley um we you know like families
3: older and, folk yeah yeah all, of um,
1: that. all you know age spectrum everything do you um, have
3: um people who've lived there forever and their generations before them as well as people who've moved into the area there's
1: well there's that thing of it, it's a slightly Characteristic of London thing, where we do have there's people who've been there a long time mm. um, because they've you know they've moved in whenever it was and they've uh, they've either just grown old or they've just been there for you know yeah. multiple generations or something like that. Or there's people who've are passing through. What there isn't is much in between of those. You've got those two sorts really. There's old Finchley, I suppose, which is yeah. people who've been there a long time, and then there's the the people who are moving into the area. But and It's one of those places where it's not necessarily uh, a wealthy area, but houses are really expensive. Uh, And so when people kind of come in, they are there for a bit and their housing arrangements change or their family size changes or something like that, and they move on. So there's a certain transience about North Finchley. uh,
3: Interesting, And
1: a a very wide mixture of living arrangements of people. And
3: and would you say that that your congregation reflects all aspects of of that sort of community?
1: Um, It's... It's not bad in terms of representation, you know, the thing that's lovely about Christchurch which you kind of feel on any given Sunday is uh, how mixed the people are but there is this wonderful kind of unity of different people which I, I'm struck by every time, you know, every time we have a communion or something and you, mm. you, you see who's gathered round um, and there'll be just very, very different sorts of people. And, so that rea- and that's just lovely. And it's a, the gospel in action, it is. isn't it? It's and a display of God's glory, he says, kicking the table just <laughs> to ruin that thing that you've just said. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it is, it is that thing of when you see that, it is a display of God's wisdom. It's the Ephesians yeah. stuff. And that I, and doesn't I love that happen about.
3: naturally, does it? Yeah. That people who are completely different to each other all end up in the same place doing the same thing. Yeah, we, it, we, it is God's... God's work that's
1: wonderful quite so and we, you know so we've got plenty of opportunities around us with all sorts of people in cross-cultural opportunities there's a mosque across the road mm. directly opposite us and all that sort of thing it's it is fascinating but yeah the way that God stitches different people together mm. um from all sorts of places yeah. where and which I wouldn't have expected you know that's that's his work to his glory
3: And um, what about Chatterston? Is that that very similar to North Finchley?
2: Almost exactly the opposite. So (laughs) I I have done, sorry, my associate role, uh, I was in London and we had a big African contingent. It's now got even a Chinese congregation and I just love being a part of that. And on Pentecost Sunday, seeing the Ephesian unity worked out in reality, we'd have this Pentecost meal, everyone would bring a dish from their a place of origin oh, and it wonderful. was a feast um, from around the world this place if we did that everyone would bring hot pot uh, because it is just <laughs> it, it is quite monocultural where I am right. at the moment. Um, is it a rural
3: sort of place or is it just well, suburbs? Or, because or?
2: Derby is a very small city mm. so on the in this suburb uh, it, if you walk in one direction, it feels like a city. If you walk in the other direction, you start to... You hit trees, fields, and farms within seconds. So it's got that strange mixture that I kind of appreciate for myself. Mm-hmm. I can walk into the city, and I have the city experience. I, I walk in the other direction, down the river, and I'm I'm in fields and country houses. Beautiful. Um, so it's got that... Uh, it's got a suburban feel to it almost
3: and similarly to the question I asked Dave I wondered is yours a more stable community is it people who have sort of lived in and around Derby forever this
2: is the first church I've ever been to and it was quite a, it's a bit of a surprise um, to find multi-generational families in the same church mm-hmm. and not necessarily running away because mum and dad are there but actually they love the church and they love the family that they've got in the church and so uh
3: And that's a very different kind of ministry, isn't it? When you not when you don't just know someone as an individual, but you know them within the context of their family.
2: It can be a little bit weird. Especially when Mum moans about her grown up son, and you know the grown up son and you disagree with mum. Gosh, yeah, so some interesting
3: dynamics <laughs> it can that be. um it yeah, can in be. in other places you might never have to deal with. it's um, it's
2: the first time I've come across this. Uh Mm-hmm. And it is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of lovely as well. It says something about the quality of the church that people don't want to run away from it. Yeah, mm.
3: I agree. I, th- I basically think it's a good thing, but it, I, yeah some mm. interesting dynamics around that.
2: It does bring dynamics
1: <laughs> out, <yeah. laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, I've just taken my shoes off, which is why um, if, you know, if you are listening on a...
3: Smell a vision. Yeah, virtual podcast.
1: reality headset thing that I'm sorry that, about that.
3: That is the um, whiff that you can catch. Um, so you've both think, you're both I think sort there of was um, a
2: pop on the microphone when you did that. Yeah.
3: You're both <laughs> um, All I'm just gonna keep going. You're both around ten years or so out of college. Yeah. What has been harder in those ten years of ministry than you expected? Or mm. what do you feel perhaps that college just couldn't have prepared you for?
1: Uh, Yeah, there's a few things there's a few things I guess when when things go badly wrong in a church from the point of view of if you like somebody very significant within the congregation sort of falling in a dramatic and public way so some kind of scandal that sort of scandally stuff um, uh, which has um, yeah uh, has been something I've encountered along the way uh, in in uh, coming to where I am now and um, that was yeah they, college couldn't necessarily prepare me for that but it was yeah to be able to respond rightly in that situation as responding rightly in all sorts of other situations you know we're we're thinking we're always as, as church leaders we're trying to think sort of you know proactively or whatever you know strategically but uh, there's the sense of just responding to stuff that happens yeah. when it happens, and if it's bad stuff, um, being able to do that in a godly way is the sort of thing that does come out of being well grounded at college uh, yeah. and being given the, you know, essentially the, the theological <laughs> basis that means I'm not, I'm not yeah, rocked when that floundering. Happens, do you know?
3: Yes, I mean, in a sense, every pastoral situation is slightly different from any other. No. And and we're always having to kind of work out the precise details of Mm. of what I'm wearing. And as you say, even in the the big situations, having the the theological framework and the the kind of grounding of, well, how do I even begin to think about this, Mm. um, is something that college can give you. Um, Jason, would would you add anything to that? That Yeah. Um,
2: I I think uh, the training I received for being a pastor or an incumbent was brilliant, uh, but, the, but I found that I hadn't been trained up to be a curate.
3: How interesting! So you, were, you felt you were kind of ready to go into leadership? I was
2: ready to go into leadership and then suddenly everyone said, not yet son. Yeah. And that was quite tricky. And uh, I think that brings a whole range of issues. I noticed in my year a number of folk had difficulties in their curacies which are not possibly anybody's fault, but we just simply aren't prepared for that That dynamic. to be the next step, yes. So, so some people aren't prepared to be curates and some incumbents aren't ready to train someone that actually is coming at a cannon at 100 miles an hour mm. and is ready.
3: Yeah, and f- full of In ideas. In some respects, f- exactly. ready. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so interesting because you say you then went on to do an associate role, not even a, an incumbent role after I
2: th- curacy. I, I came out of my curacy just thinking I wasn't ready. Um, yeah. I, I, I wasn't ready at all. Uh, so, uh, an associate pastor's role was just magic for me. Yeah, really was very very helpful and it was very helpful. So, the right sometimes place for
3: me. what a curate needs to learn, maybe that they're not actually as ready as they thought they were and
2: yeah there's a bunch of things yeah. and uh, speaking to a number of folk uh, the curacies ranged from it was the best time of their life through to uh, they had absolute conflict with their, mm. uh, with their incumbent and the personality clash mm. or even the theological clash mm. was so severe um, that it devastated their ministries
3: and it it's extraordinary I mean I know similar stories and you think how how that can be so badly got wrong through mm. that process of of applying and meeting the mm. training incumbent mm. and, and all that that you just I mean it, it is a close working relationship generally isn't it between a, a curate and the incumbent and and I guess that means if things are going to go wrong they can go really badly wrong
2: and I just I just mm-hmm. wonder if <clears throat> uh, if we're not really realistic about uh, the dynamics that can come into play if we just assume mm-hmm. here's two godly, godly, evangelical people surely they'll be on the same page yes yeah. they will but we forget they're also sinners, sinners. sinners. <laughs> and, that's always um, the problem isn't it and they're also mm-hmm. stupid yeah. um, as well as being massively smart and very lovely uh, mm-hmm. and there will be a clash and we're just not I don't think we're not always prepared Either as grown up incumbents who've been in the job a little bit too long to remember their accuracy, or coming out of a the theological yeah. college, really ready to just accommodate each other and say, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. That's very helpful. Um, I want to I just um, sort of on the opposite uh, front, what, what have been the delights and joys of ministering over the last 10 years?
2: For me, uh, when I came out of college and ran a Christianity Explored course, someone became a Christian for the first time uh, as a result of something I was doing that was massive for me wonderful yeah Um,
3: it doesn't get better does it in many ways it
2: doesn't get better without being a bit weird about it it's somehow validated I was the right person Mm -hmm. doing the right job at long last Mm -hmm. um is also is what it's about mm. kind of bringing people into the love and worship of the Lord Jesus and forever. Wonderful. Mm. Uh, what I I just suddenly made giving up various careers that could have changed lives into something much more valuable, something that changes souls mm. for eternity. Mm. Yeah. And there's nothing more important.
3: And so, what a blessing to just see that so early on in in your ministry and and kind of yeah, yeah have yeah. that um, affirmation, Dave. How about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it has been, I mean, actually, just the delight of seeing God, in a sense, confounding my expectations and plans and strategies and things like that. Um, that's the second time I mentioned strategies, perhaps because I'm not going according to plan, perhaps because I'm not very good at it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the the thing of when we've seen you know, that, that, that thing, the Lord added to their number. Those who are being saved mm. uh, from Acts two, and just being able, being privileged in having a ringside seat, really, uh, and you mm. know, being able to be a means of God's grace in that, in being and able to communicate the gospel and all being that. Being allowed of, to see what God is doing, and you're right there, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it,
3: some of what He's doing is. Y- you need to say this now, mm. Jason. You need
2: to say this now, Dave. Mm. That's, what, that's what I'm doing yeah. now. Yeah. I, and yeah, You've had so, so much fun just picking up what God's already doing <laughs> and, <laughs> and just going, yes, I get to be a part of this.
1: Um, yeah, I, anyway, we'll get on that in a minute. But, um, but yes, but there is a way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, that's it, isn't it? You, yeah. you go, when, I mean, I'm just thinking of a, a guy who came to Christ through, you know, he's a, a Muslim background guy, Came to Christ through having visions and that sort of thing, uh, and and was just deposited on our doorstep, effectively. Amazing. And you go, well, wonderful. Actually, God then used all the usual stuff that he he does. Uh, He, you know, the 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 Word of God, uh, prayer, his fellowship of his people. He's using all of that. It's that thing that strikes me very often in in how people are. uh, Again, apologies for the noise on the tape, but the (claps) whole clapping of hands thing, you know, when a teacher goes into the room. Uh, and clapped hands to get attention yes. of the, the, the kids uh, and think, well, God uses all sorts of things mm. to do that. Mm. All sorts of different things. And you go around a room and ask mm. how, how people came to Christ uh, and they'll tell you a whole load of different sort of hand claps that they've, they've encountered along the way. Uh, and seeing God doing that, but then seeing as well the wonder of just the ordinary, yes. well, the ordinary plod of we just share the word of God with them uh, and we pray and we be the church together. Uh, and seeing that being fruitful in people's lives and...
3: Wonderful. Um, I wonder if now is a good moment. Um, So we're recording this uh, podcast on the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference and uh, both Dave and Jason have presented uh, papers uh, for us over the last couple of days. I wonder, uh, we'll start with you Dave because your talk uh, Mm. was first. If you could just, um, I mean, summarize your hour and a half session plus hour long seminar in about three and a half sentences. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, for, no, tell us. Tell us
1: what you were talking about. Um, okay, uh, oh, I'll, have a, I'll have a little go. I was talking about um, the mission of God. Um, that, that phrase that sometimes gets picked up and called missio dei, uh, and often when you hear it in those terms, it's describing something which is quite vague and, and difficult to understand, and it becomes a kind of uh, a, a bucket into which you can load whatever it is you want to do uh, and call it mission. And and so we were looking at that and saying, well, okay, how do we um, through looking at scripture, um, kind of interpret that in a way that is helpful, because I think it is really helpful to see mission as being primarily God's. It is his, it's done in his way uh, by his power for his glory.
3: Helpful in all kinds of ways, but yeah. not least, taking the stress and burden off us. Well, yeah. Somehow it's, thinking it's our responsibility yeah. to this, do that. This is
1: how I sleep, I don't know about you. Yes, the, exactly,
3: God's building his church, yeah, it's fine. He's yeah, got yeah.
1: that. That's it, and the gates of help will not prevail, and, and praise him for that. And yeah, and we drink our Wittenberg beer yeah. with that in mm. mind, um, but.
3: <laughs> Jason says with a heartfelt yeah. sigh. Yeah. No, yeah, no,
2: no, no, I just, just, I'm very aware of Luther is right. It's no time for a beer.
3: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and therefore, thinking that through, we're thinking well, actually, we are being brought into something truly immense when we're talking about God's mission. That we, It's something that is grounded, and we, I talked about it in five rings, uh, a little bit like if you can imagine an upside-down set of child stacking rings. You know, there's little pyramids of different coloured rings. And if you have the big one at the top, which is God's goal for everything being for his glory, uh, and that being something that's grounded in who God is because actually mm-hmm. Father, Son and Spirit are all about glorifying each other and then under that you then go but he's, if that's the big goal for everything how does that happen well it happens through this great big story of God's saving actions in the world uh, that's the sort of narrative arc of mm-hmm. scripture or the story of uh, the gospel in that, in that really big sense and then thinking well okay how does that look to us well in one sense that looks like a really really big thing uh, and we were thinking about the gospel if you like as a wide angle lens uh telling us about the the mighty saving act of god and the oh the mm. you know his his saving which is the resurrection being applied to uh, the death and resurrection eventually being applied to all creation as christ returns and that 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 whole creation wide uh filling with worship uh to god but then also that 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 then coming to us in a really narrow focused uh, rather like a lens, focusing down on a little point of light. Mm. Actually, as the gospel comes to us and people are turned, mm. reorientated from being, if you like, false worshippers, brought into um, true worship by sharing in the life of God as he, as he brings us through repentance, as he brings us through, through mm. Christ, through death mm. and resurrection, makes us new. So, the, therefore, the, the mission that we have um, is really big, enormous broad horizons but also has a really sharp focus Yes. Uh, in that we're proclaiming these massive saving acts of God but in that as, as that happens mm-hmm. as people are transformed well again the, the implications of that mm-hmm. run on and on and on as mm-hmm. people are made into true worshippers of God and the, the difference that makes to all their living and therefore knock-ons throughout society mm-hmm. into culture all sorts Part of yes. things like that. So, yeah, big, big thing, thing you
3: will, uh, We will oh, have all those talks we... uh, available on the Church Society website if you'd like to listen uh, to the whole thing. I I found it really stimulating and, and challenging in all sorts of ways. And, and then, Jason, you followed uh, the next day. Tell us uh, a little bit about uh, yeah, so, your session. Uh,
2: I was talking about contextualising uh, some of that Missio Dei. How do we uh, bring others in to glorify and worship the Lord? And how do we grow those who are worshipping the Lord in that worship so that they glorify him more and more in their lives? Or, crudely put, how do we evangelise and disciple?
3: In a post-Christendom world, that's the, the sort the, of subtitle of the, the conference. Yeah.
2: So the the, diffi- the question really is, uh, how do we do that in the UK, given our culture? And so I spent some time looking at UK culture Uh, through five individual lenses, that I thought grouped together uh, some of what's going on in the UK uh, as we move away from Christendom, if you like to put it that way, and towards something rather appalling and very depressing. Um, How do we start to do that? Realising two things, that if we don't understand the culture that we're speaking the gospel into, we will probably miss the target. Uh, we'll probably uh, speak a different language or just uh, fail to communicate in a way that can be heard. Um, But then secondly, realizing that actually once we've brought them into church, these are people that are coming out of a culture and are still heavily indoctrinated by that culture. So unless you start to grapple with the context you live in, you will not be able to evangelise or disciple to the best of your ability.
3: Yeah, really helpful.
2: So the five things we discussed. uh, Number one, uh, nihilism. Uh, Our culture for the past 300 years has been heavily influenced uh, by nihilism uh, and more recently very much so. And you can kind of see nihilism um, on a daily basis uh, through sci-fi, for example. Uh, Where did we come from? A pointless big bang that just happened by accident. Uh, How did we get here? We evolved. It was just a happy accident. Where are we going? Well, cold heat death of the entire universe. That's a nice happy story, but it is fundamentally pointless and meaningless.
3: Sadly, due to copyright restrictions, we won't be able to show you the clip from Futurama, which... Jason used to illustrate that for us.
1: Which it did very well.
3: It did do that very well, yes. You can Google it yourself. If you watch
1: all the episodes of Futurama, you'll eventually get there. You'll
2: eventually get there. You may be able to get it um, down under uh, US right to criticise copyright law. Uh, Anyway, the fundamental point being, uh, the whole world's going to end, let's just have a beer and enjoy it. Uh, So that's nihilism, and it's actually pretty fundamental to our UK culture. Uh, The second lens was moving through, and if you know philosophy, you'll know existentialism flows from nihilism. And so the next few points were about the various forms of existentialism that we have in the UK, imposing a meaning on a meaningless universe. The, the uh, The first one was secular humanism, which I found surprisingly dominant. I thought it was just down to new atheists and we couldn't get rid of them, but actually, it's much more profound than that. It's a part of our culture. It's on QI. It's in everything movie. I think movie. it's sort of the
3: default
2: it position, actually. It is default. Actually. You live in a meaningless universe, therefore be nice to each other. That is secular humanism. Mm-hmm. The third lens, and this was the the bulk oh, Sorry, they're helpful
1: at that point. Just the way that you showed us just how many different films, if you like, tell that exact story of it's a pointless you, you yes. universe, but then some sort of hero uh, in the in the film is nice to people anyway. Uh, and you go, well, if, if we hear it enough. It becomes plausible for us. Mm.
2: The issue with our culture, uh, as I try to say, is it's not rationally imparted to us at any point. No. It's always through narratives, stories. Drip, drip, drip. You just absorb it on an emotional Mm. level.
3: So then your third point, and again I have to apologise to our listeners, because we can't play you Jason's quite lengthy impersonation uh, of, of Whitney Houston.
2: What did you think of The Wig?
3: I mean, I thought you got away with it, okay. but I'm not sure the dress was quite the best style for you. Uh,
2: size thirty. Just if you feel like
1: work. Whitney, brother, just go for it. Okay. Yeah.
3: I mean, I believe the children are. Our <laughs> Who can
1: make you otherwise? Thank
2: you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> radical individualism is the third lens. Learning to love yourself. Being who you truly are deep down inside. Um, and for this, of course, I relied very heavily on Glenn Harrison's a rather excellent book, A Better Story. Uh, radical individualism uh, says uh, a whole bunch of things. First, that you look to yourself, that you don't trust any authority. You don't listen to anybody else's story, just your own feelings, your own heart. Second, it says... Uh, Listen to those people who are plausible around you who have other stories that you find echoing within something of yourself and that begin to change your own story. And so a radical individualism uh, leads to uh, a very messy uh, range of narratives that all compete in the social workplace, the the culture, Um, and we find competing narratives battling out for each other Uh, And we find those with plausibility, uh, nice, shiny teeth, big, fast cars, uh, popular, famous people uh, imparting their narratives. uh, And we want to be like them, and so we find ourselves changing our narratives uh, to fit theirs, uh, which is why um, the culture has changed so rapidly, so easily. Yes. Uh, All you need is someone to advocate for a position Who's nice, charming, and much loved by the media, and you find yourself feeling very uneasy about disagreeing with them. Yeah. And so our culture changes, and this is radical individualism. Ironically, individualism leads to kind of groupthink.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Uh, and then quickly. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, fourth lens: existentialism, money, fame, fortune. Uh, Oliver James's affluenza. Yeah. Uh, that is what imparts meaning to your life, the stuff you've got and the people who love you. Uh, Final lens, going back to nihilism, I titled it Ataraxia, which is... is A word everyone
3: will have on the the tips of their tongues.
2: (laughs) Epicurus... uh, I've got uh, got a bad case of Ataraxia (laughs) on my feet. That's why I took my shoes off. Uh, Epicurus, um, the philosopher that you get in Acts 17... Um, he, uh, his big aim was to achieve ataraxia, peacefulness, contentedness, a uh, uh, simple life with a mind elevated by philosophy. And my, my point was, actually, we don't elevate our minds through philosophy or just simple contentedness anymore. We drown out the noise of our own impending doom in a meaningless universe with a whole bunch of basically entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and we went through a whole bunch of different things. Humour. The Brits are so big on humour. If something gets too close to the bone, slap some sarcasm on it, and we can all just move on.
3: Yes, yeah. so as you can tell, we've all been nervous about making jokes ever since yeah, no, Jason nobody, nobody. said that, in yeah. case we're distracting ourselves from something very important. Yeah. Um, I also wonder, actually, just because we were saying about we don't really do that through sort of philosophy anymore, I do wonder if the mindfulness movement is maybe a little bit of a way... Uh, in a sort of contemporary society people are are trying to achieve that sense of peace and contentment um, in a a slightly different way than just drowning it out with stuff or amusement.
2: Yeah, there'll be something to ponder on that. Uh, One of my big uh, points was that uh, we tend to deal only in story rather than rational thought. This is going back to Neil Postman's Mm -hmm. stuff about amusing ourselves to death through entertainment. We tend to uh, discuss things now in narrative form rather than rational Mm. or philosophical uh, stuff. Uh, Great question. Is mindfulness imparted to us on a narrative level or a philosophical level?
3: Well, it's certainly, I think, for many people, an experiential thing, isn't it? I can experience Mm. somehow this um, Mm -hmm. state of being at one with my universe or whatever it is I, I yes, very interesting, um, we've already gone on for longer than our podcasts normally go so I'm not going to ask you my final questions I'm just going to say thank you both very much, thank you.
1: can I just say add, yes. add into that some wonderful stuff on God's sovereignty in a chaotic situation from one Samuel with Johnny Jukes. Yes, which having. has been absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. And um Geoffrey Firth's session just now on how this earth's in what we do as church.
3: Yes.
1: Church gathered and how that connects with all of that. It's been a stimulating time. We've, we've and really lots yes. of good conversation between us and time to think it through. So bigging up the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Strokes Church Society Conference.
3: Thank you, it, yes. If you've got
1: this far in the podcast. I mean,
3: I think, I think in all the podcasts I've recorded while I've been here, we, we have bigged it up large. Um, but thank you for doing Obviously that I again. I know that,
1: having listened to them all. No,
3: no, well, they've not gone out yet.
1: Oh, OK. Um,
3: but uh, it, it's good to hear that again. I didn't prompt him to say that. I, th- I think it has been a really great
0: conference and lots, as you say, to mm-hmm. think about and, mm-hmm. and ponder. So thank you. Thanks, thank you. For you. Us. As I said, you'll be able to listen to Dave and Jason's talks, as well as all the talks from the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Church Society conference on the website. And I'll put the links uh, in this post uh, so that you can find those. We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments uh, on any of the podcasts. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can tweet us at Church Society and you can always email me, ros at churchsociety.org. Do tune in again next week?